This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA. If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good, healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market. Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival. How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Massimo Bottura. Hi, this is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robin. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs on Heritage Radio. I know in the beginning I I tried to, especially with all the pressure on me, that I wanted to know everything and I I wanted to teach people. And then I think one day I came to the understanding that I don't. And I don't want to be that person who who just fakes it till they make it. Like I I want to be open about if I don't know how to do something, I, I want to learn. That is Chef Emma Benson of Aquavit Restaurant in New York City, our guest this week on Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman, here with... Caitlin Friedman. Good morning, Caitlin. Hi, Andrew. This is a special morning edition. This is a, a beat the train edition. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be highly efficient. We're going to be, It's people may think the speed on their playback is turned up <laughs> because we need to get you to the commuter train because we had a great dinner last night at Battersby Restaurant in Brooklyn. Oh my God. It was so good. Walker Stern, the yeah. chef there. We just let it rip. We said, go go for it. Have your way with us. But, you know, he made a pasta with truffle and tomato, and I don't think I've ever had that combo before. Mm-hmm. Summer truffle. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Everything was great. Can I just say that I'm having a bit of an identity crisis, and I'm, I don't even know what to say next right now? This <laughs> this sounds a little familiar, though. Yeah, I know it sounds familiar. <laughs> You're still pissed? I don't know. I felt, you know, so what, ha- you can tell people what happened. So last week, yeah. I did a whole show intro. It was the Phil Rosenthal episode. Phil yeah. was our first non-chef guest. We called it an open kitchen episode. You and I recorded an intro. Yeah, which we I had, we thought had was con- good. We had fun. We had fun. Yeah. I felt like when I played it back, I sounded almost apologetic for having Phil Rosenthal, who's a pretty big guest to have on the show, because I went into all these contortions ex- defending the decision to have a non-chef guest, right? hmm So after you went off to work, 
I re-recorded the intro by myself, and you were not, you were displeased. Well, for a couple reasons, but I will just quickly say it was probably the best intro we've ever done. That's not ever. true. Stop. It was so, we talked about it for hours. It was, <laughs> it was, so, amazing. you guys really missed that like, is like the best intro. That is far from a true we were statement. Funny you just hurt on your, point. This is intellectually dishonest. You've just hurt your case. <laughs> I have no more, I don't feel bad anymore. All right, let's keep going. I don't feel bad I, anymore. I have a train to catch. So let's keep going. So, but no, I am having a little bit of an identity crisis because I'm always soliciting feedback from people and I got a very sweet review or we, we, I, whatever the show got a very sweet review on iTunes, five-star review, but the person who wrote it said, uh, the only complaint was that the intros are too long and it said something like less of Andrew and family and more just chefs, right? And I want to be clear when I'm saying this, I appreciated that feedback. I didn't mind that it was done publicly. I am always looking for feedback. I want to know. It's very hard sitting here in our house in Hastings no, on Hudson. you This guy's going to get annoyed. <laughs> what? This house in Hudson. You're talking home and family. Oh. <laughs> no, but I'm saying it's hard from here yeah. to have a sense of how this plays, right? Right. So I actually put the comment on Instagram and said, hey, this is really valuable feedback. I'd love to hear from people, blah, 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 blah. You know, here's the way you can reach me through a comment or a direct message and whatever. I think I even gave my email address. And then all the comments that people wrote said, no, 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 we like the intros. Like everyone said, oh, I like the intros there. I like them. I like hearing from you guys. I disagree. So A, I felt terrible because I feel like it looked like I set this person up who I still appreciate their comment and B now I'm just confused because clearly there are listeners who feel like these intros are too long I'm in the middle of the sentence I'm actually having a like should I finish the sentence <laughs> I think that's a good idea you can just finish the sentence put a button on it do the intro do you think the intros are too long uh, sometimes we ramble. That's fine. I mean, sometimes I go, oh, like right now I'm going, we're still talking about this, and I have to catch a train. So I want us to talk about. Yeah, but this was, what was that show that was about? Not <laughs> Seinfeld. That was successful. All right, come on. Keep going. I think that there's a nice middle ground. Mm. Or this guy just really wants you to jump into the interviews with the chefs, in which case he should skip ahead. I think middle ground is the right way. Yeah. 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 I was thinking maybe I could write longer show descriptions every week and, yeah. and put, the, like, I think Film Spotting does this and put time cues, like intro, zero to eight. Maybe, but this is just, this is part of the experience of the show. Part of the experience of the show. Yeah. Okay. This week's guest is Chef Emma Benson. Emma, have you met her? I have not. Well, you need to meet her. Emma is, I... I barely know Emma Benson. Emma is the chef of Aquavit Restaurant in New York. You and I have a long history with yes. Aquavit. I've been to Aquavit many times. Because a million years ago, when it was in its original home, uh, Marcus Samuelson was the chef. That was several chefs ago. And I was his publicist there. And then I represented that restaurant in the 90s. And Emma has this amazing story. She comes from Sweden. She is... I don't want to embarrass her, but um, she is very open about the fact that she's a bit shy for interviews. 
Uh, but this was the third time I've interviewed her. The second time I've interviewed her for a podcast. And she's really smart. She's kind of subtly very funny. She's very thought out in her ideas. And she has this incredible story. And the story is she was the pastry chef at Aquavit. The way she became a pastry chef to begin with is something I won't spoil, but it's this very kind of funny moment that says a lot about kitchens that's in the interview. And after the prior chef left the restaurant, are you actually yawning? No, I didn't yawn. After I talked about my identity crisis? <laughs> I did not. People, oh I did not yawn. Oh, my God. <laughs> going, oh keep going. Oh, my God. Come what on. kind of wife are you? It just happened. It wasn't that it nothing. I want, a, I want like Adrian from Rocky. It had nothing like, to do. Like, do me a favor. Win. It had nothing to do with what you were saying. So go ahead. Emma, after the prior chef left the restaurant, Emma became the chef. She transitioned from pastry to being the overall chef of the restaurant. This rarely happens. I don't know of another instance where it did. And she's just knocked it out of the park. She's got two Michelin stars there. The food's incredible. I've had it. It's also quite beautiful. Um, so I have wanted to sit down with her for this show. I, I do feel a little hesitant to ask Emma for interviews because I know that she has a little bit of uh, stage fright. Well, I don't even know if stage fright is too strong. Is she just shy? I think she's a little shy. I think there. Well, you relate to this. Yeah, I'm shy. But much like... It was interesting because we were. I was talking with her, and um, you know, it reminds me a little bit of our daughter. Mm. You know, because yeah. our daughter is a little bit shy, but is fearless. Like she will do anything. She flew alone when she was nine years old. You know, and Emma reminds me a little bit of that. Like Emma seems also fearless to me. Mm. Just doesn't particularly relish speaking publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Given all that, I feel like we had a really great conversation. I think she's got a great story. Uh, we met in the morning last week at the at Aquavit. We sat at the bar and set up the mics, and that was it. So what do you think? Should I get right to it? Yeah. Okay. I'm so, curious. So with that, imagine yourself walking through the very loud concrete canyons of Midtown Manhattan on a summer morning, walking into Aquavit walking past the host area to the bar where you see me and Emma beginning our interview. Here you go. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> when I walked in here this morning, you told me that you had, we had been interviewed for the same special report on another podcast. My recollection is when I first met you and first arranged to interview you, it seemed to me like you were a little shy about publicity. You're smiling as I say this. <laughs> it seems, it, this seems to me like something that's changed a little for you. When I first wanted to interview you years ago, your publicist said, well, she doesn't do that many interviews, you know, and, which is a funny thing for a publicist to say. But it seems yeah. like, like you've kind of, I don't know, it seems like you've kind of settled into this part of the, the job, if that's what we look at it as. I'm, I'm definitely getting more comfortable with it. Yeah. And, um, it's getting easier and easier for, for every time I do it. So yeah. I'm not that nervous anymore. And uh, I, I practiced a lot with you the, did? the speaking. Yeah, I, I try. How, what do you mean practice? I try and have conversations uh, at home or with my sister and uh-huh. things like that just to get the, the conversation going a little bit more than just interrupting myself. 
Oh, really? Um, oh, that's interesting. I do a little bit of practicing. <laughs> okay. And you think of that as practice for this kind of thing? Yes, because I know a lot, a lot of times when I did interviews in the beginning, it was a lot of... Um, Empty space and short answers and short answers. Right. And yes, and no like ans- yes or no answers. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make for great radio. No. Can we go all the way back? Sure. Can we talk about how, how you... Well, I mean, I don't need like uh, all the private details of your family, but about cooking. Well, if I ask you how you started to think about maybe doing what you do now, right? When you, if you look all the way back to when you were a kid, whether or not you knew it at the time, right? Whether it was cooking, restaurants, food in general, cookbooks, what what first sort of, when you look back at it now, what do you think was the first sort of spark for you? I think it was when I started actually cooking uh, desserts and pastries and uh-huh. things like that. At home? We, at home, yeah. We had this big backyard with uh, everything from rhubarbs to apples, blueberries, yeah. anything we, you can think of really. And I started making pies and, uh-huh. and chocolate cakes and, and things like that. So you I did think, this with a family member? No, just me. Just you? Yeah. So what was your source of instruction? Was it books? My grandmother. Okay. Her, her recipes. Her recipes. Yeah, she, okay. she's the one who, who handed them down they to me. They were written? Yes. Index cards? Or yes. Were they in a little Index box? Card. No, they weren't in a box, but I, I got little... Uh, papers that she would rip off her notebook. So oh, really? I still have them today. It's, really? It's really cute. Oh, that's great. About how many? How thick of how <laughs> thick of a stack is this? It's not that big of a stack. Okay. But, uh, but it kept you busy as a child. It kept me busy as a okay. child, yeah. Did you have, when you started to do that, and you were just, I assume, you A, you probably enjoyed the final product, and B, you started obviously to enjoy the process, did you have a, what, a natural aptitude? Did you find, in other words, like if you were making pastry dough, did, you, did your fingers sort of know what to do? Did you have good hands, as they say, mm. or soft hands? Did you, did you tend to pick things up quickly, or was it work for you? I think the reason why I love doing it that much is because it was one of the few things in life that didn't require very much work from me. It came naturally. It, it came naturally, and everything else with school and study and and sitting still and all, all of those things that you were supposed to do, that was a real struggle for me. So They were. This was, uh, it was one of those things I could just, I feel I do and not think that much about yeah. it. Can you talk to me about the school piece? Because it's funny, I, some people have pushed back on me and told me this is no longer the case. I disagree with that. It maybe is not as much the case as it used to be. But so many people, I feel like, who find their way to a kitchen had the relationship to school that you just described. And the words you just described, it, they did not like sitting still. <laughs> that was a big problem for a lot of cooks. They were just bored. Forget yeah. the sitting still part. They were bored. Uh, they like being on their feet. They like doing things with their hands. Um, I've also felt, and I've had people say this to me, that that was more true of men who go to a kitchen than women, generally speaking. But you're talking in exactly the terms that I think about as a natural pathway to the kitchen. Yeah, I definitely think it's pretty much every everyone I know or my friends have had the same experience. They have. As I've had yeah. growing up. And I can definitely see women be maybe a little bit more relaxed and not yeah. that far off, but... 
Yeah, it's just, everything was just so hard. <laughs> it was hard for you. Yeah. I How had to did... sit on my hands in school. Literally? Yeah. You taught yourself that or someone no, told they you told to do me. that? The, the teacher? teacher told me to sit really? on my hands. <laughs> okay, so that's an embarrassing thing for a child to be told. I assume you were told it publicly. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, so that's embarrassing. It doesn't feel good to fail it. I don't mean literally get an F, but to not do well at something. That feels bad, right? Yes, definitely. Did it make you insecure? Did, was it hard for you emotionally to be, forget the boredom. Did it take a toll on you, on your like psyche, to, to be in a situation that just felt wrong to you? It definitely did. And I was always a, not an overachiever, but I always wanted to be the best. And I always wanted to succeed. And I tried so hard to 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 be able to understand what yeah. I was doing, but it just never worked. Yeah, and uh, it's just something tough. that. How was your family around that? Do they? I mean, they were supportive, they and were. they they understood that going to another meeting in school, talking to the teachers about yeah. my progress, was just part of it. Yeah. I, they let me do a lot of um, activities activities outside of school. Yeah. Like I was uh, very. Involved with my horses and riding and you things were. like that. Competitively so. or? Yes. How did yeah. that work? Like, what did you, like, how so? Racing or I don't even know the terms. <laughs> no, I did both uh, dressage and, uh -huh. and horseback jumping. You Most, did? Mostly there was dressage, actually. Uh-huh. But that was uh, my mornings and my afternoons, my nights, weekends. Every time I had was what's for that. Yeah. What feeling did that give you? It was kind of similar to actually nowadays with the cooking because that's what's also something that I felt that I was good at, right. that I could do, and I didn't have to s concentrate that hard. It's just mm -hmm. also something that came naturally. Fair. That's interesting. You also, do you, can I say that you've mentioned this enough, you dance, or you used to. Yes, I do. You still do, what yeah. do we call it, Latin dance? Latin what? dance. Yeah. You still do that. Oh, yeah. Is that similar as well? Yes, for sure. Anything that involves, I guess, maybe movement and, and be able to use an, the different side. What do they say? The left side of the brain? Yeah. <laughs> My right side haven't yeah. caught up. So Got it. Um, okay. So when do you decide that you're going to start pursuing or might be interested in pursuing cooking as a, as a profession? I'm very young. I'm not exactly sure when, but it was around being early teenage. That young? Yeah. And, and was it, before we go any further, I'm sorry, I should say this. We, we are here at Aquavine and people can, t I probably will have said this in the interview, but can you tell us a little about where you grew up? I grew up on the, on the west coast of Sweden mm -hmm. uh, in a very, very small town where I would, uh, my mom would tell me in the summers I would actually go out on in the middle of the street and yeah. lie down and, and sunbathe on the concrete because it was so warm. Like, that's how small it was. In the middle of the street? In the middle I mean, of the street. I mean, there was no concern that a car would come by? They would just stop, go in, and I'd tell my mom <laughs> she's out on the street again, and they would move me. Oh, my God. Uh, so that's how small it was. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah, growing up there was... Uh, it was on the west coast of Sweden, so we, uh, we had a lot of seafood around yeah. and, and all of that. And every summer we would go up uh, outside of Gothenburg, uh -huh. rent a cabin, right. go fishing yeah. and eat shellfish and, and things like that. Yeah. So that whole life in the beginning was yeah. very much revolved around food, yes, uh, especially seafood. Uh -huh. I think growing up that way was... I learned at an early age what I liked and what I didn't like. In food. In food. And I think 
part of the way I came to realize that it was just easier sometimes to make the food yourself than... To get what you wanted. To Yeah, to get what I uh-huh. wanted, I, I kind of had to do it myself. When you look back, do you feel like you had a, a good palate naturally? Like when you look back at what you liked as a kid, where you, what you gravitated to, what you thought, oh, I'm going to do this myself, the thing you were doing yourself, when you think back, was it pretty good? I think so. Uh, my, my friends and families around me would say I was extremely picky, uh-huh. but I think that also came from knowing what I wanted to yeah. eat. And I'm, I'm still that way today where I see food as something else than just being nutritious. If, right. if there's nothing that I would enjoy eating, I probably would starve that day than eat Really? Something. So you don't just eat as a matter of uh, function? No. Even at home? No. Very it's always a, that. not an event, but it's always a, dis- it's always a, a deliberate decision. It has to be something I enjoy, otherwise I can't eat it. Really? So, so you would never eat something like a protein bar? Depends on what it is. I like the ones that has the nuts and the cranberries in them. Okay. But like the, the pure protein bar, no. Right. It's so something that had horrible. actual food in it yeah. you could deal with. What made you think about chefing even as a, like as a profession? Like had you been to restaurants and had you met chefs? Had you seen them on television? I didn't really know anything about chefs or uh-huh. how a restaurant was or I'd never been in a restaurant and yeah. even going to to school I didn't really know what a professional cook was. Yeah. All I had in my mind was like watching my mom and my grandmother uh, in the kitchen yeah. and how they cooked and and the food that they produced. Right. So I was actually quite lost when I went to Stockholm and started restaurant school there. Yeah. It uh, it wasn't until my first semester where I started realizing uh, about all these chefs and the like, possibilities of the, the possibilities of the and what they were doing yeah. and and, and wow. things like that. Was so. that really exciting when you started to see the what was out there? It was, it was. And then the funny thing as well, I I'm doing a dinner with Elizabeth. Faulkner this uh-huh. uh, coming week. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and uh, I told her as well that she was one of the first ones that I I, I spotted on TV from back home. From back home. Wow. So, yeah. so you saw her what doing her cakes or something? I don't remember exactly what cooking show it was, uh-huh. but she I, made an impression. She made an impression okay. for sure. She's one of the first ones outside of of Sweden as a country. Interesting, and she so. personality wise is sort of the polar opposite of you. Yeah, she's very. <laughs> She's an unshy individual. And I think maybe that's a little bit what draw me to Opposites it as well. Opposites attract, uh, yeah. Opposites, because uh, it's, um, it's always those personalities that I wish that I were uh, or could be. Really? But I've always, uh, always been very uh, introverted. So what do you, you go to cooking school, you start to have a sense of what you might want to do, and then when you start working, what, where do you go? So my first internship uh, in school was at a place called Etsbacka Krog. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know that much, to be honest, actually, about the place yeah. uh, when I got there. And um, it was this restaurant that was an hour outside of Stockholm. Yeah. So they weren't really, they would always say they were in a little bubble because it uh-huh. was still a fine dining restaurant, but it wasn't inside of Stockholm. Right. So they, they, they kept their own little family out there. And okay. I'm very happy that I ended up there as my first yeah. restaurant. And six months in, they got their second Michelin star. Wow. Uh, and that's when I think everything opened up in my head. Like, 
seeing every every hard work go into it and how much that meant to uh, the cooks yeah. and the chefs and yeah. everyone was there. I think that was the first experience I had. Yeah. Where it's like, wow, this is this is more than just cooking. Uh, up till then, nothing had really like... Right. When it comes to how good of a restaurant or awards and things like that never registered in my head. Right. Uh, what kind of food? What kind of food did they do there? Was it traditional? Was it sort of more personal? It was very traditional Swedish cuisine, meeting French. Okay. Um, so they had the the flavors and the ingredients were very classical Swedish. Yes. But the techniques fr- were. It was in a French package. In a French package. Yeah. Right. But I remember the way the the chef taught us to do dishes would was always very inspiring because he would come up with an idea yeah but he would never finish it and then he would give it to us and go figure it out as a team as a team and then we're changing the menu in two weeks okay so and even then as as a new kid coming out of school being told to like figure it out you're like figure what out <laughs> I'm like i don't know how to do this but it turned out to like wanting you to like you worked harder and you really like and it wasn't like a whole dishes. It was like elements here and there that, that he saw that he wanted, but he left it up to us to come up with a solution. So he would leave one little, if it was a jigsaw puzzle, he would leave one corner maybe yeah. unfinished. So you all would come up with the last, like what herb or... Or how to do, how to do certain things. Like he, uh, for example, he wanted a, a twill to be a certain way, but he yeah. had no idea how to do it. Yeah. So... We had to build or figure out like how to construct it that way uh-huh. and things like that. So that must have been great. It was amazing. Yeah. And, and then he would edit you guys. I assume he would edit you all. Like you would present and he would say, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. go back and change this. Or, exactly. Yeah. Like and he sometimes went, nothing happened and sometimes it went on the menu perfectly. And, and that made and, you feel great. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. And you were what? How old were you at the time? Us, what was I, 17 and a half? Wow. That's very empowering. And I think that's the way he run his kitchen. I was there for almost five years yeah. and I was still one of the the the, the shortest period of time. Uh-huh. Most people stay wow. for seven, ten years. How big a how big a team? Roughly. I would say f- it was around fifteen mm-hmm. paid people in the kitchen uh-huh. and maybe twenty interns or something wow. like that. Okay. I guess if you have two Michelin stars, you can... Yeah. And it was back then, it was the only two Michelin star in in northern uh, in the Nordic countries. Yeah. So a lot of people were coming That was in a competitive other, thing to, yeah. get a, to get a, to stage in that kitchen. So you eventually settle in on pastry. When did you devote yourself to that part of cooking? <laughs> that actually happened the first day I stepped into that restaurant. Oh, really? Yeah. I... Um, I really wanted to do savory and uh, I, I know I inspired to be like, I wanted to work with sauces and juice and things like that. Yeah. But I I got there and there's this big guy who grabbed a hold of me and was just like, okay, you're my intern. And he turned out to be the pastry <laughs> chef. And uh, yeah. You almost described that. It sounds like a prison movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that was it? You had no say in the matter? Nope. No okay. saying. Were I mean, you now privately when that was said to you? Were you like, "What?" Was that a complete curveball in your life? 
It was. It was. I was very confused. But it's also pastries in, in Sweden, or we call them the cold section. Yeah. You do do starters as well as desserts. Okay. So uh, you end up on a line where you actually produce, like you would do it. the foie gras terrain and the, the salmon, but everything... It on- wasn't a completely different department the way we think of it here in the U.S. No, but... When you look at, especially in that kitchen, when you looked at the starters, yeah. they were very uh, pastry technique inspired. Okay. Um, so it was, it was some of the things were very hard for yeah. cooks to to get around and 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 sort out in their heads because, because you, they were so precise. Yeah, and and the techniques and the way you had to do it. Yeah. It's just uh, I always. Pastry and savory is two different mindsets uh-huh. uh, of, of cooks. And yeah. I guess that's why you levitate towards or gravitate towards one right. or the other. Well, I but. said this to you once in another interview. I don't know if you'll remember it, but uh, Wayne Harley Brockman, who was, I think he may still technically be the pastry chef at Porterhouse. I met him at a Christmas party maybe 20 years ago. And we were just talking. And he said to me what you just said. It was two different things. And I asked him to describe it. And he said, chefs are surgeons. Pastry chefs are pharmacists. Sounds about right. And, yeah. he, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, chefs, it's like triage. Like you just get in there and you're troubleshooting and it's, you know, you're, you're, you're turning out the food and there's a lot of pressure. And, and he said, in pastry chefs, it's formulas and weights and measurements. And it's, you can't be like that. It no, is very you have pre- to plan a week in advance. And it's very precise. A lot of what you're doing is very precise. You yes. can't just uh, improvise. No, if you miss a step in the beginning, you... You screwed. You go back. <laughs> so a number of people have said to me, even people who really they're kind of known their whole career for, for the savory side, but maybe worked earlier in their career in pastry, have said to me that that is invaluable experience. Be, because, even if you end up on the other side, because of exactly what you were just saying, that you do learn precision, you do learn discipline, that it's a, it's a really good thing to put yourself through. Do you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Uh, and I encourage all my cooks here, if, if any one of them ever wants to uh, take a swing at pastry or yeah. move into pastry for a short time, they, yeah. they're all welcome to do it if uh-huh. a spot opens up. So I do have one of my uh, my savory cooks who's been with me for a long time, move into pastry a couple of months ago. Yeah. So, um, and cool. uh, he's learning. It's a bit of a struggle, but he's getting there. Right. So do you, tell me how you end up here. How do you end up in the United States? How do you end up in New York City? I, um, I remember I, uh, we had a really long service uh, back at my old job in Sweden and uh, everyone went out to a pub afterwards and had some beers and, yeah. and we were all joking about, I was talking the whole night about wanting to move to New York yeah. and things like that. And then I went home, I woke up the next morning and I had this uh, Facebook message from um, uh, Marcus uh, Jernmark, the, mm-hmm. the head chef here, asking, uh, he was looking for a pastry chef, asking yeah. if uh, I wanted that position. Yeah. And <laughs> it was a, a Saturday or something like that. So I, I, I thought one of the guys from work was like playing me a prank. Really? So... <laughs> Because I was talking that so would be much kind of about it. About what? New York? About New York. Because going why? To New York. Because it's always been in my dream to to come here. So I I thought for some reason they would just I don't know. That would be so kind I, of, that I, I would never, be sort of mean. <laughs> Am I misremembering this? Had you not come through here? I feel like you told me this once that you had come through here 
on your way to or from maybe Mexico? Yes. I, um, I went on... Um, our vacation is a little bit different back home. So I actually, I went to Mexico for four weeks. Would the restaurant close for a period of time? Yes. Yeah, yeah they closed the down summer? every summer. Yeah. yeah. So I went to Mexico and um, I had a connecting flight in New York yeah. back to Sweden. And for some reason, I just got this feeling that I, I, I was done with Mexico at that time. So yeah. I, I redid it a little and I got to stay... Uh, uh, three days. I changed my flight, so uh -huh. I got to stay three days in New York. And I had no idea. I, I never read up on anything when I travel. Right. You don't? Uh, you you know. like to just be thrown into it? Yes. And and I know now that I the, the place I stayed at, the hostel, was uh, at Astor Place. Okay. Uh, which I didn't know at the time. Okay. And uh, What year is this, roughly? Oh, Early uh, 2000s? Um yeah, maybe 2005, something okay. like that, okay. 2004. Okay, so that's pretty much Astor Place the way it looks today. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, I just remember out walking, uh, I came coming across uh, Union Square, Yeah. Uh, all the people that yeah. were outside and yeah. like throwing little glowing things in the air and, and <laughs> right. dancing, and then... Uh, Last night, I actually accidentally stumbled across Times Square. Uh -huh. How you actually do that, I don't know, but right. I totally forgot that. So you were just exploring there. the city, yeah. and you were alone? I was alone. Did you, you spoke English at this point? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I you did. could get around, you could ask questions, and you found the city, I guess you didn't find it intimidating. No, I've, I found it more, uh, uh, in, what do you call it, in, intoxicated? Intoxicating? Intoxicating. You did. Uh, Look, you like lit up when you said that. Yeah, it was. It's you took to it right away. So different. Everything did that surprise you? Because I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people. I mean, this was a little bit after the, the city was really in decline in like the seventies and the early eighties when I moved here. But I, I do feel like I've talked to people who come here from overseas, and people like their family thought they were crazy. They told mm. them to be careful. You know, don't get mugged. Um, that was, did you, had you heard things like that about New York or not so much at that point in time? No, I've, I've had, and, and pretty much everywhere I go, I think New York has been one of the safest places that I've traveled to, yeah. uh, for the, the years before that I've, yeah. I've put myself in, in the worst countries uh -huh. <laughs> where you're not supposed to be. Okay. Um, but you didn't find New York like, did you find it friendly? I did. Very yeah. friendly. See, when I came here as a student, I came here as a college student at 17, and I never experienced that New York you see in movies, you know, like people, get out of my way, you know. I mean, you do, of course, a little bit. But I find New York, I've always loved New Yorkers. Yeah. They've always, I, I, directions, help, um, friends. I mean, I have, I have friends going back to the first year I moved here, which was a long time ago now. Yeah. That was your experience of the city. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I loved it. And after that, I was just like, this This is where one day I'm going to work. Did you explore the food here at all when you visited? Not in the way of find any restaurants, no. Right. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. Was that a budgetary thing at that yes, age? Yeah, you couldn't. Yeah. And I've I've come four weeks from Mexico, so I've pretty much blown my Right, so you weren't going to go, you weren't going to have uh, dinner at John George or, uh, right. Okay. No, I okay. wish I could, but so you um, go home and then you get this message from Marcus. It's it's uh, uh, you think it's a prank. I didn't even answer straight away until 
two days later, I got back to work and, and, and tried to talk to everyone and see what was going on. And it turned out it was actually real. Yeah. So um, after that, everything moved really fast. Uh, he asked me if I wanted a position. We were talking on the phone like maybe once or twice. And, yeah. And then... He was like, okay, done deal. Can you be here next month? I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it, it takes time to get yeah. a visa. And, but I managed. I Can got I, it done. And yeah. So and you never cooked for them? No. How does that work? Did that it's, surprise you? Uh, actually, I know. I, I don't know. I, all my life, I've, I've never really, I never applied for job i guess you never I'm, did I'm an audition meal or lucky that way i've huh. always been offered yeah. positions so yeah. i wasn't really that surprised and and also when it comes down to pastry chefs and and in sweden there's not that many yeah because like i said we don't have that culture where you have a pastry department in restaurants right. yeah. you do normally it's the chef yeah who thinks about the desserts and then the, right. the line cooks whoever Execute. works at yeah. gourmandier and right. does it so the, there's not a lot of people to choose from as yeah. well yeah uh, but um and it was supposed to be for one year so oh really why that's the, the visa that we come oh over okay so we get a, a j1 which uh one year okay so you come over you take the job mm-hmm. and how what was it like getting you'd been here for an exciting visit what was it like when you move <laughs> here when you have to find an apartment that you can afford and then when you start cooking under the microscope of a New York City kitchen with everything that that comes with, what was your indoctrination actually moving here like? Again, I think I, I've, I've been really lucky in a lot of things happening in my life. Uh-huh. I, I came over at the same time as another Swedish girl who's actually going to be my uh, pastry cook at, uh, for a year as well. Um, and her, she had an aunt living in New Jersey. Uh-huh. So they took us in for the first week while we uh, found a, okay. uh, a place to live at. But yeah. uh, it's so strange because I remember the, the, the apartments here in New York, the, yeah. the, the standard is not the same as you would see in Sweden. You mean what you could afford as a young person in New York City? And I, I, I still, I mean, we had a two-bedroom. It was 2500 a month. What were you in? We were on 66th Street. You were in Manhattan for yes, that? Yeah. Really? Was it rent stabilized? Uh, it was, uh, we signed at least for a year. Okay. Um, and then, wow. so okay. it worked out. Non-New Yorkers, this will sound crazy, but that's a really, that's a really good deal. But for us, it was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And but you're talking, when you say the standard isn't the same, anybody who's come to New York as a young person and gone through the real estate listings, and you go and look at apartments, and you see things that anywhere else would be insane. Yeah, and I, I remember looking at the apartment, and we spend pretty much two weeks, like, deep cleaning. I'm sure. Because it was yeah. so nasty. Yeah. Did you have mice? Not not that I saw at that time, but we, we did have later in the winter, because right. this was high That's summer. It, right, okay. Yeah, but uh, I was just like, this is crazy. No one yeah. would live like this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it was worth it to you to be here. It was. Yeah. And I was never home. I mean, right. I, I, sure. my first six months, I, I lived here. Yeah. I was here you just at go 8 home and fall asleep. And I would go home at midnight. And, right, right, right. And it was just... So how did you find being in a, in a, in a kitchen like in New York City at a restaurant at this caliber? What was that like for you? 
It was, uh, I think it was mostly a little bit weird and strange because the structure is so different here. Mm. Uh, I'm used to, I was, uh, back then I'm, I tried to mold this restaurant a little bit more towards the way I want it. But back then it was, you were hired to do something yes. and you didn't do anything else. Yes. And that was very frustrating for me because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm used to everyone having sort of a communal role. Right. Uh, and even if you didn't, everyone would still do everything in a restaurant back So if home, I put it in athletic terms, everybody was cross-trained. Yes. Everybody could do everything. Pretty much. Um, and, More or less. And if you, if you worked front of the house, you could, you helped out behind the bar. You right. would do the dishes right. or like the cooks would go in and if the porter didn't show up, we would do the dishes and things yeah. like that. And that was something that was so strange to me coming here that, no, I just served bread. I was like, what do you mean you don't just serve bread? Can you take the plate out? No, I don't carry plates. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? Like, but um, over the years I've been here, they're, uh, they're all uh, been very supportive yeah. nowadays. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was li- what you're describing, though, that was literal, the way people talked about their individual positions. Yeah, and, and the that's like that in, in many most yeah. places in, yeah. in New York City or in, in US because that's how it works. Right. But don't you find I mean, I don't know, I don't I don't work in I've never worked in a kitchen since I mean, not really. When I was a kid I worked in a restaurant. But um but I assume there are aren't there must be some people who don't aren't like that. People who are just hungry for experience, advancement. No? No, there is. There definitely yeah. is. And then right. and, and that's that was something that it it taken me years to do, but yeah. eight years later, everyone that's here with me today yeah. knows how I I like it. Yes, and they all are very supportive, and they all help out. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're yeah. an assistant or a captain; everyone right. helps each other. My theme song and break music is from After School Special's album, Double Barrel, Single Entendre, which is available on iTunes. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, featuring spectacular plant displays year-round. On Thursday, August 23rd, Brooklyn Botanic Garden will host the Beer and Bocce Benefit, a one-of-a-kind garden party featuring lawn games, live music, and unlimited beer tastings by some of Brooklyn's top beer makers. Proceeds from the Beer and Bocce Benefit provide essential support for the garden's educational and community programs. And mark your calendars for the annual Chili Pepper Festival on Saturday, September 29th. New York's hottest fall tradition will set the garden ablaze with scorching bands from around the world, dozens of fiery food artisans, and hours of chili chocolate debauchery. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org. Welcome back. We'll get you right to the rest of our interview with Chef Emma Benson at Aquavit Restaurant. But first, Caitlin, I'm not going to read them this week because of my identity crisis, Mm -hmm. but there were some lovely reviews on iTunes. Uh. One person wrote in and said that her daughter had seen me speak at the Culinary Institute of America back in April, Mm -hmm. told her 
to read the book. So the mom is now reading the book, my book, Chefs, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, Mm -hmm. about the chefs of the 70s and 80s. It's Mm -hmm. the weekly plug. And has gone and checked out my blog and said that the show has given her a sense of the life that her daughter is embarking on. This is a really good mom. That is a good mom. And I mean, that comment. is really, yeah, awesome comment, great parent. Yeah, that made me, that's the first of its kind for us. And uh, other chefs who are listening, you know, during prep time and all this stuff that I just love to hear. So to those of you who did write in, because of my identity crisis, I am keeping it a little short this week and not reading them. But I just want you all to know I do appreciate it. If you would like to leave a review for us, you can do that on iTunes or Stitcher. Or you can just go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating, much as you do for, say, an Uber driver, one to five stars. And the best way to keep up with the show is to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow the show. I suggest you do that on Instagram. You can also do it on Facebook. The handle is at Chef Podcast on Instagram. Every time we do drop an episode, I put the link in the bio, put a picture up, and that is a good way to know when there's a new show up. And you can, if you haven't subscribed to this show, you can follow the link. Although subscribing is by far the easiest way to do it. You just, the show just pops up in your queue, mm-hmm. and you can listen to it wherever you do that. Easy. Is there anything else we need to talk about? I think that's it. Okay. So with that... I'm going to return you to the rest of my interview with Chef Emma Benson, recorded last week at Aquavit Restaurant in New York City. Hope you enjoy the rest of it. You come here from your home country. You're cooking food in the Swedish category, right? At a, but in a, how do we describe it? A fancy New York City restaurant. And also for predominantly an American audience all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. How did you adjust what you did, if at all, for your new diners? When it, when it comes to desserts, yeah. uh, I definitely had to bump up the sweetness. Uh, you had to... This is, an, right, this, is a, this is how people look at Americans. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every, the, sugar, every, the, sugar quant, the sugar quotient went up. Yeah, everything yeah. I produce in my first desserts was just like, oh, it's too sour. It's like, it, it wasn't well received. So yeah. I started uh, bumping up the sweetness in it a little bit. and, and Beyond it, what, it your, what you, your own palate dictated. Yes. Yeah. And That's so funny. That was for desserts. And then yeah. when it comes to savory, um, I, I do have to pull down the, the salt and the... You had to lower the salt. Uh, lower the salt. Okay. So that's something that Europeans, especially Nordic countries, because yeah, of sure. uh, the culture, uh, the food culture we have, we, we used to a lot of salt. Because of the history of like preservation yeah. and all that kind of curing. And yeah, that's, a, that's one of the main foundations, right? So yeah. yeah. So that, that's one of the things on the savory side that... We have to pull down. Yeah. I, I know in this, every time my parents come over, my mom, wherever she goes, she have a, a little uh, salt. She carries her own? She carries around a little <laughs> thing of salt in her purse. So everywhere uh-huh. they go, she's like... Nothing has enough salt on it. No, nothing. Oh, my gosh. And I used to be like that in the beginning, too. But slowly, the, the longer I've been here, yeah. the, the, the salt in me goes down a little. But in terms of what you were serving, did it? Did you have to kind of get a little more uh, 
complex? Did, were your, did your presentations become more intricate? Did did uh, did the recipes become more complex, or did, were you doing very similar things to what you were doing back home? No, I, I struggled a lot in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I was doing a lot of desserts and, and sh- showing dishes that, yeah. that weren't approved, uh, that had to be uh, worked on. Which so you would put stuff in front of Marcus, mm-hmm. and, he, and you would get feedback and be sent to... To redo it. Oof. And looking back at it, I mean, there were, there were moments where I was like, so angry and in tears and I was like I can't believe like this this is perfect but then I worked on it some more and I was like oh god I'm such an idiot of course it wasn't perfect like and then that was I think the first time I've actually um, led myself to realize that Nothing is ever perfect. Okay, like, that's so funny. That was the question push. I was about to ask you. Because when you just said perfect, I thought, well, do you believe? Because that's the thing with a lot of people. Creative, a lot of creative people believe you'll never get to perfection in whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. But that was something when I started, like, this is perfect. And I was like, no, am I just being lazy? <laughs> this is not perfect. Nothing is perfect. Well, lazy is harsh. Uh, you didn't know uh, yet. Uh, yeah. No? Okay. Are you being, <laughs> no, really. Wrong, am I wrong? I think no. you're just being young. Yeah, maybe. That's true. Looking back at it or now, proud. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I, I felt like I was lazy. Yeah. Or okay. uh, settling for not right. being all the way there. Yeah. So yeah. after how many years does Mark, that you're here, does he leave? I came at 2010 and he left 14. Okay. And then this unbelievable, to me, unbelievable thing happens. Tell us what happens. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, one day, we, we were out, a, out, out of a, a head chef. Uh-huh. And um, Hakan, our owner, yeah. asked me if uh, I was interested in, uh, in taking the position. And it was, I'm not very good at believing in myself from the beginning. So being asked that question, I was like, this is just crazy. It's, like, you had no idea this was coming. No. Yeah. And I didn't even like cross my mind that yeah. it would ever be me so this wasn't a big sit down he just casually mentioned this to you one day yeah <laughs> okay i think that was a good thing if it was a sit down i would probably have freaked out completely right um, so what was your initial response i said i'll i'll help uh until he finds someone else yeah and uh and inside you're what terrified oh i'm freaking out i mean i have no idea i'm also in a whole different city like where where do i get fish from i don't know like you'd never had to deal with that part of the job there was so much stuff and it just it i don't think i slept for another six months again it's just like it was so much to figure out so initially was it a temporary thing at least as as far as as far as you knew as far as i knew (laughs) yeah but when you look back, what he was—he he was playing you. I, I, yeah, I, I, part of me feel like he wasn't very looking very hard. Uh-huh. To be honest. <laughs> okay, but, but this was an amazing. Um, he had an amazing confidence in you. No. Yeah. No, he did, and I'm. I'm very. I'm so grateful that he did. It's. Uh, it's. It's extraordinary when there's people around who yeah. who see something that. Yeah. That you don't yourself. When you, uh, have you ever talked to him about it? Like why he, what he saw or what made him think? That wasn't the history of this restaurant. Mm. It wasn't like that was something he'd done before. It's not that normal or, or it's not that usual. 
And, you know, there have also been these people, like Alex Stupak, who was one of the best pastry chefs in the country, when he decided to switch gears and go and do what he did at Empeon, people thought he was crazy. <laughs> now, he got the last laugh, but that seemed like a big deal. This wasn't even your... This was an owner yeah. seeing a, in his pastry chef something that you didn't see in yourself. Yeah. Did he ever tell you what it was? He said he liked... Oh, he really liked the way I, I ran my pastry department here. Interesting. Uh, and how I accelerated it from what it was uh, th during those four years yes. when I started to where it was uh, that day. That's that what's he said okay. made him believe that I could do it. Okay. So. Now, if you don't mind me describing this, and this is an, this is an audio recording, I've mentioned a few <laughs> times where you like lit up. You almost have tears in your eyes as you mm. remember this moment, if you don't mind me saying that. No, it's fine. I mean, you're not like falling apart, but you clear, this was clearly very meaningful to you. It was. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So how do you go about, first of all, how big was that pastry department that he admired? How many people? You plus how many? Three more. Okay. Three to four, depending okay. on the season. And the savory side of the kitchen here, how many people are we talking? Roughly. Tw 12 to 15. 12, okay. So So... Four times. Yeah. Okay, at least. Uh, how do you even go about getting your, first of all, your head around the food, and then second of all, your head around this this unprecedented, the management part of the job? It was hard, but I had my my head chef who's uh, who's with me today yeah. was he was just starting out as well uh -huh. one year in here, uh -huh. so he was with me, and I had another sous chef uh, mm -hmm. who supported me and, and helped me yeah. uh, a lot along the way. Yeah. And it was it was nothing that was rushed. Everything was very like calm and organized in uh -huh. a way. Yeah. But we took it step by step. Everyone helped each other and yeah. and I've I've learned so much from from them over the years yeah. as well. There's there's things that not just the management position or ordering and, yeah. and dealing with all that, but we also go down to to butchering, uh, to cooking techniques, mm -hmm. like things that were so outdated in, in my head from school 15 years ago yeah. that I had to relearn again. Yes. So I think throughout the, the, the years now, it's, it's actually quite amazing because I'm still, every day I walk in here, I learn something new. So it, it's from your team. From my team. Okay, this That's is really a, cool. This is a way I'm not used to hearing chefs speak. What do you attribute this to? Necessity, um, the the sort of point of view you had from your job back home, where everybody was sort of cross trained, and you know people stayed for years, and it was like basically you describe it almost like a family situation. Yeah. Um, where do you think this openness that you have to that um, relationship with your team comes from? It seems very, it doesn't seem that common to me, no, but it seems I'm, very evolved to me. It seems very practical and very smart. And it, it wasn't always, I, I know in the beginning I, I tried to, especially with all the pressure on me that I wanted to know everything and I, I wanted to teach people. And then I think one day I came to the understanding that I don't, and I don't want to be that person who who just fakes it till they make it. Like, I, I want to be open about if I don't know how to do something. Yeah. I, I want to learn. 
So, I don't want to stay away from it. Right. So. Am I am I correct in assuming that despite your own hesitancy when you were offered that pos- the position, right? That if I'm understanding what you're saying, it, once you accepted it, there was a need for you to be the leader or come across as the leader. That's what you're yeah. saying. So you didn't want to seem like you wanted to be the person in the kitchen who knew the most, who was the most confident, right? Yes. That's what you're saying. But at some point you realize they, I, there I, were, I, there I were in some aspects you weren't. And you, the, the thing about faking it to me, especially in a, in a kitchen where food's coming out periodically, right? I mean, you're going to, there's a test every night, right? Yeah. You're not going to fool anybody, it seems to me. Like if no. you are faking it, your team's going to be talking behind your back. They're going to be looking for new jobs. They're going to be, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, especially in these, this era where there's yeah. so much competition for for good people. Um, so how did your team respond when you did that? Were they there for you? They were. And I mean, even today, I encourage everyone in, in the team to, to learn yeah. and new techniques. And yeah. there's so much stuff coming up every day that if anyone ever wants to... I remember in the beginning, we were doing a lot of uh, uh, fermentation yeah. and... Uh, and and all of those things that none of us have really done before. Right. So we started actually studying it and reading up on it. Yeah. And, and my head chef got really involved in, in everything about uh-huh. it and super interested. So we all kind of like piggybacked and uh-huh. like learned together about yeah. all these new things that we've never done before. That's exciting. And um, I think that's like one of the most fun things with with work yeah. that when you sometimes when you get to the top and you get to lead a kitchen yeah. you don't really get to learn anymore right and i feel like that's a shame because there's there's so much you can you can learn from your team everyone has their own specialities yes. and, and whatever they they do and i started realizing that i do have 15 years of pastry in my background so yeah. that is what i bring to the table yeah. like all of those techniques and the way to see uh, colors and contrast and, and how to plate and things like that. That's uh-huh. what I bring to the yeah. table. I might not be the best butcher, right. but I don't have to be the best on everything. Right. I just have to be the best at orchestra and put it together. Right. And then you learn to utilize what I have in front of me. Uh-huh. And Because it's not a one-man show. You have yeah. to have a kitchen team to, to back you up. Yeah. So for me to try and be the best at everything, it was it took so much energy out of me that I, I, I lost that other part. There's so much influence out there. There's so many, I mean, a little less in this restaurant because of the type of food you do, but there's so much going on in food today that you might have a cook who's, really know like fermentation who really knows a lot about that or really knows a lot about whatever or you know knows a lot about a certain uh country's food or and it'd be silly not to take advantage of that right? or to or to so. learn from that i think the rules have changed a little bit do you you're describing what seems to me like a very special situation like a little world of its own back there <laughs> in the kitchen no, is it, that, it does it feel like is. that it does it does for sure and i uh i i tend to feel that the way I build my team back yeah. there is uh, I do take in a lot of uh, young uh, individuals or just coming out of school. You do. And uh, I try and mix and match a, a little bit with the, 
my chefs that I have that are a little bit more seasoned as yeah. well. But I feel like that's where a part of it has to start because their minds are just like new and they're thinking in a way where like sometimes you have to pull the brakes and go like, no, 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 no. Right. You can't do that. Right. Not every, not everything, not everything is open to discussion. But then there's, right. there's stuff where you like, I didn't know that. Right. Like, wow. They like, you, you learned that. And like, I didn't know that you could do that. Yeah. And, um, I spend, I was up at CIA the other week, um, did you give a commencement address? I did. Yeah, yeah I, I did. saw that on your Instagram. That must have been, well, that, how was that for you? <laughs> that was super scary. How many sleepless <laughs> nights before that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, how long a talk? They're not that long. How long I, a talk? I think I lasted 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah, so that's I, about, I did yeah. pretty well. Okay. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like having all these kids staring at you yes. from the front rows looking for the answers to everything in their life yeah and yeah. all i wanted to go like oh my god you're so screwed it's so much hard work <laughs> <laughs> was there a theme to the talk no not really okay uh, i i i talked uh, a little bit about my struggles yeah uh, growing up and, uh-huh. and and what school meant to me and, uh-huh. and what the actually being a chef uh-huh. meant to me and, okay. and a little bit about as well the struggles they're gonna uh, come across in yeah. life and how mentorship and, and, and friends are very important. Yeah. Was there a, a, a one thing in that talk that you think was the most unique to you? Like the thing that you only tend to hear yourself say to young people or that you feel is uniquely your advice? I'm not sure if it's uniquely my advice, yeah. but I, I always tell young people that they have to start value themselves when they go out in the industry that if there's a kitchen where you don't feel appreciated or that you're learning or being uh, treated in a certain way then move on because there's so many kitchens out there and there's so many chefs that actually want you to work for you so that's interesting to me there's the there's the days where when when i was growing up I, i never Ended up in any of those kitchens, right. but the the attitude was very different. Yeah. But I mean, I've had my fair share of cryings in the walk-ins. Uh huh. But um, there there comes a moment where you have to think to yourself, is it worth it? Right. The 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 knowledge and on my resume that I've been here, is it worth it? So here's or what. Or should I go go somewhere else? Can we talk about this for two seconds? I'm not questioning what you just said. I want to be clear about that. But this is so interesting to me because there are, as I'm sure you know, you go back to like the hard ass, right? Kitchen, you're smiling when I say that. <laughs> I actually ghost wrote years ago a, I mean, I'm talking a long time ago, maybe 20 years, uh, for a friend of mine was giving a talk at the, a commencement talk at the CIA. And his whole thing was, no kitchen is perfect. Don't be a whiner. Don't complain. Any job you take, you should stay for a year. I don't care. Part of me agreed to it, but... And, and I'm not challenging you, but I, this, what you're saying is the exact opposite of that. There's a level to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, In other words, don't be a don't spoiled be a, brat. Or right. a crybaby. A crybaby. Don't be afraid to work hard. But there are situations where you have to put yourself first as well. But don't, I, don't let yourself be disrespected. Exactly. Right, right. But 
Of course. I mean, I don't... If you're you're in a kitchen and and you get yelled at for doing something wrong, that's not okay. I have to move on. Right. That's just you did something wrong. Right. It's, and it's, it's stressful. If that happens every ten minutes, that's another story. And that's like I said. Yeah. I've I've spent my fair share of crying in walk-ins and dry storage. Yeah. Uh, but I never felt that I was. Uh, mistreated, right? Because that was it was my fault. Right, I, I did it. So right, like, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I um, I think when you're very young, like people who write out of school, right? You have a maybe you're in a bad employment situation. This happened to me in my when I was in the the film business. You think that if you quit, right? It seems like the biggest decision of all time. It seems like, like you're making an enemy for life. It seems like something that's gonna ruin you, maybe ruin your career, especially if you work for somebody who's well-known, right? But that's rarely true. But I do believe you, if you put yourself into something, you should definitely give it a year. Yeah. Uh, because you are, you are taking time from them to teach you. Yes. Uh, and they are, whoever in employing you, are putting in work to yes. teach you. Yes, yes. So I feel like it's very disrespectful after two, three months to leave. To take what they had to offer and then, and then market it. And mark out. But it's, yeah. uh, it's one of those things, if, if you start somewhere and you feel like you don't belong, yeah. then leave after a week. Do you tend to hold, this, this, everyone's talking about in the big cities in this country, right? In New York, San Francisco, Chicago, LA, how hard it is to hold on to cooks today. Do you tend to hold on to people longer than the average kitchen, do you think? Oh, I, I don't even know what the average kitchen do, but... I mean, people tell me they lose a lot of cooks now in like eight months. They don't even expect them there for that year we just talked about. You kind of get that feeling a little bit straight away when, when, when they start, if they're going to last or not. Um, and I also do have... I have a couple of kids who I know are on a one-year visa as well, oh, okay. so I, sure. I know they're going to be here yeah. for a year with me. But you kind of get that feeling a little bit straight away. Mm -hmm. So you you know a little bit who to invest in. And I also sit down and, and talk to them from time to time okay. to feel, just get a feel of how they're doing, yeah. what, what they feel, what they want to do. Yeah. I also try and, and switch their positions around yeah. uh, now and then so they don't get bored yeah. and, and keep them like occupied doing things. Yeah. But... Most of the ones I've had uh, stay at least for a year, if not okay. a little bit longer. Do you have any people back there who were there when you took over the kitchen? One. One. Uh, okay. My head chef is still with me. Oh, that's great. And, uh, that's nice. My two sous chefs have been with me for almost as long. Actually, that's not... One of the sous chefs was a student when I took over. That's great. So, yeah, I think you're doing... Yeah, that's well above the average. Do you at all strive to have sort of the... I mean, you can't have it exactly here in a city like New York, but that kitchen you talked about early on where everybody sort of helps, where it's a learning experience. It sounds like that, maybe not <clears throat> in a literal way, but it seems like that's the spirit of that kitchen very much kind of... Uh, infuses what you do or how you... Is that accurate? It is. It is. And that's that's the way I, I run my kitchen as yeah. well. Everyone helps each other. No one... There's no backstabbing or if if someone is done early, they yeah. help the other stations right. out. And it's... 
it's very encouraging to see even when if if pastry yeah when i've lost pastry cooks yeah and they're struggling i have half the kitchen volunteering to go into pastry uh-huh. and I was like okay who wants to work extra and they're yeah. like me i want i was like sure <laughs> what about yourself and do you do you um how do you spend your days these days like are do you is there stuff that you still do during the prep day do you i mean you, I butcher. You butcher. I, I like butchering. So I, I do that. Um, maybe not every day, but uh-huh. uh, when I do have times in the mornings, yeah, uh, I do that. What do you like about it? Do you know? I feel like it's one of those moments where I I get to be a, a cook again, or like use my knife and uh-huh. and, and and do things because yeah. I'm I'm not on the line, right? Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm in the kitchen every day. I run yeah. the service and I yeah. plate and yeah. I do all of that. But I don't really never get the feeling of like... That tactile... The, the rush yeah. and like having to do stuff. Sometimes I step into Garmandier when they have me, but they mostly push me away. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not allowed to cook. But butchering is like your, that's your personal... Yeah. This I is something I've that. talked to with a few guests this season. I think what chefs choose to do themselves in the way of prep or whatever is very telling. I think it's very interesting because you could do whatever you wanted if you wanted to, but you choose that. Yeah. Yeah. Does it take you back to a certain job or a certain point in your career? Not really. I think that was one of the first things that went taking over that I had to learn again. So I feel like that's one of the things where I like... It it came on me so late in my career that it's like, I still like to evolve my techniques yes. in it. So the more I do it, the better I get at it. Uh huh. Well, it was great talking to you. Same. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay. it wasn't that hard. I can do okay. This. I can do this. Okay. Uh, thanks for doing it. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And that's our show for this week. Thank you to Chef Emma Benson for doing an interview. Caitlin, don't you think Emma is... She's a good interview. Great interview. I told her after the interview, I think she's... I don't think she came across as shy. A little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't think as shy as she thinks she comes across yeah. as. Maybe she's just slightly uncomfortable, but she's great. Yeah. she's. I really, really, really like her. And you need to go have her food. We got to yes. do that. Okay. Uh, anyway, thank you, Caitlin. My pleasure. Thank you, David Tattashore, for splicing these things together every week. And to all of you out there in podcast land, thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you back in a week, if not sooner, on Andrew Talks to Chefs. <laughs>